The conference realignment carousel goes round and round. Where it stops, Shayan J. Roger from CBS Sports might be able to tell us. And we'll talk to him on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Sooners fans. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Welcome to Locked On Sooners. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. And joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, how was your weekend? It was good. Happy belated 4th of July to you and yours and all of our all of our viewers and listeners out there. Hope it was a happy holiday for everyone. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful and just enjoying all the conference realignment talk and joining us on today's episode of Locked On Sooners from CBS Sports, Shehan Jai Araja. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, we're excited to talk to you because you're definitely in the know with everything that's going on and kind of on the forefront of kind of reporting on this stuff. So initially, when it first came down, USC, UCLA moving to the Big Ten, just what was your initial reaction to that? Yeah, it was, it was a surprise. I mean, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma last year was a surprise, but I think in some ways this was even more of one because, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma, I think it was the timing more than anything else. We expected that it was going to come maybe 2023, 2024 with the timing of the Big 12 negotiations. Uh, with this, I, I mean, USC and UCLA joining a conference where the nearest member is 1,500 miles away. It, it was a surprise. I, I think that We've known that maybe we're heading in this kind of world for a long time, but to actually see it happen, to take, uh, you know, this sort of talk that we've had and turn it into reality, it was a surprise for sure. What kind of a fit are USC and UCLA? The geography side, obviously, is getting thrown by the wayside in all of this, but in terms of those two schools, their brands, what is the Big Ten getting? I think that they do fit from the perspective of institutional goals. Uh, You know, obviously the Big Ten is the conference that really values academics. You know, they want to take schools that are in the uh, the AAU, which is this this big academic institution. Uh, They want schools that are focused on things other than football, at least nominally. Obviously, the reality is you don't move unless you're going to make $100 million in the Big Ten. Uh, But I do think that they make sense uh, from that kind of perspective, where they really don't make sense, of course is geographically is culturally in a lot of ways there's going to be some comparisons right like the big 10 is a more urban conference than some of these other conferences that we're going to be talking about like obviously the sec and even you want to compare to the big 12 or or anybody else um you know so there is that but these are this is a conference that now stretches all four time zones this is a conference that now stretches 2700 miles uh you know there's so much talk about football that I mean, look, volleyball players are going to have to play three matches a week in three different time zones. That's crazy, right? We don't see that in in really any other conference in college athletics. And so, you know, look, I understand why they're doing it for the money and for the football exposure. And and I think it's a good thing for USC and UCLA that they at least have each other. But it's going to be, I think, a pretty difficult transition for those schools heading over to the Big Ten. Yeah, you think Maryland's really excited about a 7 o'clock kick on the West Coast? (laughs) Uh, 
against USC, I'm sure those fans are really going to be staying up till 10, 11 o'clock at night to, to catch that one. Yeah, I, I can't wait for uh, – I, I think I made this joke when this came out. I can't wait for the body clock conversation, <laughs> talking about conference games. Right. Like, I don't know if it's going to affect how teams get picked for conference championship games that, well, my body was at 9 p.m. local time, but I was playing at 6 It's crazy. That's that's not the sort of thing that should be happening with uh, with college kids, with, uh, with obviously one conference, with the way that college football has historically been set up. Uh, it, it's a total rewriting kind of of the rules that govern what we're watching well and it's it's a big hit to a conference that has such a long history on the west coast i mean i grew up in california lived there from you know age two to 14 almost 15 and i just remember a lot of great pac-12 football the the rose bowl is gonna who knows what that's gonna look like in the future um and usc and ucla moving pretty much guts that league what's the future look like for the pac-12 yeah it's bleak right this second i think that right now the pac-12 is trying to figure out what's next obviously they have 10 teams remaining in the league and they still do have some quality brands i think that washington and oregon especially stand apart and when you're looking at teams i mean utah is going to be one of the best teams in the country next year we don't know what they are as a program long term but they are uh, sort of a very good team so this isn't a league with nothing right this isn't a one-team league but when you start to compare it to where these other leagues are going, when you look at this new Big 12, when you look at the ACC with what they have right now, obviously we'll have to see what they have in two or three years, but uh, but I think that it puts them in a very tough position. And, it, you know, the big one that kind of stood out was Washington, almost right from the get-go, made a statement that made very clear that they – we're going to be looking at trying to get into the Big Ten, which if you're Washington or Oregon, I think, again, the two best brands left combined, I would argue, between the Big 12 and Pac-12, uh, you got to try to make your money, right? I mean, if you have to go to the SEC and play road games in Florida, like, you know, teams feel like they have to do that at this point. I think that we're in a post-geography world when it comes to college football. Uh, but, you know, so let's just say hypothetically, because, because uh, I mean, we can get into it, but Washington and Oregon, I think their decision is going to depend a lot on what Notre Dame does, because I think that's going to influence what the Big Ten does. So let's just say that that doesn't happen. I, I think that you look at the four schools that are closest to the Big 12 footprint, right? Those four corner states, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State. I think that those four teams are looking really strongly right now at trying to team up with the Big 12 because the funny blessing about Texas and Oklahoma leaving a year early uh, for the SEC is that I think it gave the Big 12 ample time to respond. They added four of the top group of five teams that I think that you, you could argue. Uh, I think they add some really strong markets. I think that they add some brands that really make sense. And you kind of look at the landscape now if you're the Pac-12 and Boise State's an obvious one. I think you can make the argument if you want to go into SMU, if you want to go into Memphis, maybe. But none of these are as strong brands, I think, as what the Big 12 just added. And so if you look at those four schools that I mentioned, I, I think that they look at the Big 12 as having a stronger identity long-term, having a little bit more stability long-term. And if those four brands leave, obviously Washington and Oregon will head somewhere else, whether it's they're able to join the Big Ten. It's whether they're able to join the Big 12, whether they're, they want to join the ACC or, or if they're able to get into the SEC. I, they're not going to be long for this new Pac-12. And then, you know, then we're talking about backfilling with Mountain West teams and only a couple teams being left. So a lot of moving parts left to go. This is still very fluid. This is still very early. But uh, but that's kind of where we're at right now. 
Well, we know that the Big Ten and the SEC, they're the real power brokers in all of this. Who knows what their end game is in terms of number of teams in expansion. But for the Big 12, which the reports that you mentioned there, looking to potentially add Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. For a conference like the Big 12 that's been gutted in its own right by Oklahoma and Texas's decisions, is this just simply for the Big 12 conference survival of the fittest as compared to the Pac-12 and the ACC? Like, how far do you see this going for the Big 12? Will they stop at those four, or could there be other expansion moves beyond that? I think the answer to that is whatever becomes available, right? If all of a sudden tomorrow Clemson said they wanted to be in the Big 12 or Florida State said they wanted to be in the Big 12, I don't think the Big 12 is going to say no, right? It's going to be how they add the most value possible. And so, you know, I've, I've had a, a question like this asked a lot of times, right? You know, will they be Power 5? Will this new Pac-12 be Power 5? Will the ACC be Power 5? So we're working with the Power 2, right? I, I think that everybody kind of acknowledges that at this point. Um but, you know, depending on the way that the sport is structured, right, it could go a couple different ways. It could be it could literally be that the SEC and Big Ten take their ball and go home and say, we're the AFC and NFC and we're holding uh, playoffs internally and then we're just going to put up champions and that's it. And nobody else is even part of the sport anymore. That could happen. It definitely could happen. Um, or we could be in a world where we talk about an expanded playoff with. 12 teams or 18 teams or whatever it is, uh, and potentially where you're kind of backfilling with, you know, maybe a couple conferences get guaranteed spots. Obviously, you'd expect the Big Ten and uh, SEC to get the vast majority of any at-large spots that are available. But, you know, I think the Big 12 puts themselves in a great position if they get those four schools to be that number three conference, right? And if there's any sort of playoff expansion, if the rest of college football is included in any sort of future of the sport, I, I think that backfilling with those four uh, Pac-12 schools does put them in a pretty advantageous position. Now, Again, Notre Dame could throw all this into whack. Uh, the Big Ten could make a decision. The SEC could make a decision. Uh, and the ACC is really the quietest one of the bunch right now. We haven't heard a whole lot from them uh, until tonight. You know, there was a report uh, that, that we'll get to maybe where Dennis Dodd reports that, uh, that the ACC and the Pac-12 have talked about doing sort of a combined sort of thing. But, like, that kind of shows where the ACC feels like they are right now, where maybe they're having to figure something else out right now, even though they have a grant of rights that lasts all the way until 2036. So uh, I, I think that, again, to, to go back to it, I feel like if you're the Big 12, you're thankful that you had an opportunity to backfill just a little bit, because I do think that now you head into this critical stretch uh, from a position of strength instead of last year when Truly, the Pac-12 could have taken anybody they wanted from the Big 12. Yeah, and we're going to have more on that. And I do want to ask you more about the ACC after I talk to you all about Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can go to rockauto.com and save? They've got everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in there, how did you hear about us, Box, so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, Shayon, we're talking with Shayon Jayaraja from CBS Sports. He mentioned Dennis Dodd's report of the Alliance, and I think that's been the question that's been on a lot of people's minds is what happens with the ACC because – does the SEC try to respond to the Big Ten's act of aggression, so to speak, 
in adding USC and UCLA? Do they try to go into Florida and add Miami, Florida State? Do they try to add Clemson? Is the SEC even looking at expanding further at this point? I think at this point, they're going to stand pat. Uh, conversations are still happening. Everybody's talking to everybody right now. Like, uh, you know, if if there's a school that has a question right now, they've had a conversation with uh, with another league, right? So, um, but all that to say, I think that the SEC will probably stand pat. They're in the biggest position of strength out of anybody right now because they have the most valuable brands. Now, the Big Ten television contract might actually end up being bigger because they've got some more metros and stuff like that. But uh, the SEC is the most powerful league in the country and everybody knows it right now. So um, I, I don't think that there's going to be a huge sense of urgency. L look, if Clemson and Florida State come to them like USC and UCLA did to the Big Ten and say, please let us in right now. They're probably not going to say no, right? But, uh, but I don't think that it's necessarily a huge priority for them at this moment. Uh, you know, I think what's going to be interesting long term is, you know, with the ACC, right? The big domino for them and for everybody is Notre Dame because the ACC, of course, has ties to to Notre Dame. The Notre Dame would have to pay a buyout for them to get out of the idea that they would have to join the ACC if they joined a conference. There's stuff written into their bylaws about uh, Notre Dame being required to join the ACC. They can get out of it because you know they're Notre Dame and they have. Uh, I was going to say more money than God. They've got all of God's money, I guess you could say. But uh, I, I think that uh, I think that fundamentally. You know, if Notre Dame decides that they want to go somewhere else, they're going to go somewhere else. Um, and so the ACC is going to hold on to the Notre Dame dream as long as possible, because if they add Notre Dame, you know, you've got four brands that are probably championship caliber programs when things are going right. Right. I mean, you got Clemson, Notre Dame, and then you got Miami and Florida State. And that puts you in, I think, an OK position. It's not the most amazing position, but I think that you can feel pretty stable about what you've got. If you're in a position that you're basically relying on Clemson and Florida State not leaving for the SEC, that's a pretty tenuous position to be in. So uh, a lot of that's just going to depend on that. You see them making this move, like you mentioned, uh, that Dennis Dodd is reporting on uh, to, to talk to the Pac-12, trying to create some sort of long-term scheduling thing. Uh, Look, I mean, in some ways, it's just the alliance part two, but without the backstabbing part of the alliance, it's already happened. So I don't know what that means in practice, uh, but I don't think that that's a long-term move that's going to really pay a whole lot of dividends for them. I don't think it's going to fundamentally change the television contracts for either the ACC or the Pac-12. I don't think it's going to help them compete with the SEC or Big Ten, uh, but it could help maybe uh, keep people happy. And I think that the biggest thing with all of this, right, I mean, we talk about those three programs that I mentioned. I think North Carolina and Virginia Tech are going to be brands that could enter this equation with the Big Ten and SEC long term. But if you're a middle team right now in the ACC, and if you're a middle team right now in the Pac-12, you are not feeling real good. Shayhan, we've talked a lot about Notre Dame, and obviously we know historically they value their independence. They've had a great working relationship for a long time with NBC. And as you put it, they've got all of God's money. But having said that, is there a part of Notre Dame and the brass at Notre Dame eventually, Jack Swarbrick, whoever, that looks at the current climate of college athletics and says, yeah, we've got a lot of money, but can we continue to potentially catch up to an Alabama Clemson? if Clemson makes a jump uh, at some point in the future to Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, is there any of that pressure on Notre Dame financially that they're ultimately playing a little bit of catch up now to USC and UCLA and everybody else that's in the Big Ten and the SEC? I think the biggest thing that's going to impact them, uh, and one reason that I think that they might – 
take their time to make a decision is that I think more than money, which money will play a part, it just it just will, right? But I think that a bigger part is going to be access. You know, is it going to be an inhibitor for them to have access to championship aspirations, to, you know, to winning it all, to to competing on that national stage? I think that that's really what would hurt Notre Dame and what they would feel like they would have to do something about. And, and again, we're moving in this consolidation world, right, where we're going to have these two major conferences and everybody else, you know, and there's going to be a lot of good teams left over, but everybody else is kind of a second-class citizen at this point. And so I think that Notre Dame's going to need to figure out whether they can exist as a premier brand, as an independent in this kind of world where you have these two forces, or if they need to join. Now, certainly, I think if they were to join a conference, uh, the Big Ten makes too much sense, right? Because they're a Midwestern team, they're in the state of Indiana. I think that when, uh, you know, talked about with USC and UCLA, they meet a lot of those academic goals that I think fit culturally very well in the Big Ten. And so, uh, you know, and, and Notre Dame's very powerful. I mean, they they have a unique kind of presence because of their history. I think that they could have some flexibility in terms of if they wanted some NBC games still, for example. I think that that's a conversation that could be had, for example. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens. I don't think they're in any rush. And I think that uh, furthering this playoff conversation might actually play into their decision as well, whether they're going to be able to have a realistic path every single year, even being on the outside of one of these two conferences. But I mean, look, Marcus Freeman right now has the number one recruiting class in 2023 and the number one recruiting class right now in 2024. He doesn't, I, I think that Notre Dame people understand something's happening right now at Notre Dame to where maybe they could actually reach that national championship level. And to miss out on that because you've made some bad choices in realignment while you're being Notre Dame, I think would be a huge loss. And we're going to start talking about some Oklahoma Sooners, Big 12 2022, because Shehan, he covers the Big 12. He's He's got the no, he's well in tune with what's happening across the conference. And so we got to hear about what he thinks Oklahoma's biggest question mark heading into the season is and where they stand. But first, let's talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, 100% covered in chocolate. It tastes great and it's great for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein all delicious. And you've heard me talk about the coconut brownie chunk built bar. Well, now they've got the coconut brownie chunk puff. Yes. You like the marshmallow texture, the marshmallow flavor. You got to check out the coconut brownie chunk puff. So make sure you go to built.com. Use promo code lots 15 to get 15% off your next order over at built.com using promo code lots 15. And we're excited on locked on Sooners to tell you about, well, a new partnership with home field apparel. They've got a line of clothing that Sooner fans, look, you're going to want to check out. John and I, we've gotten our little sneak peek, some retro mm -hmm. gear, some awesome uh, Oklahoma T-shirts that we'll be able to share with you on the YouTube side here very, very shortly. They're getting set to launch for Oklahoma, their brand, on July 9th. So that is sneaking up on us. The Oklahoma collection, it's got 15 pieces of apparel in the collection. That includes T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks. All vintage apparel. It's uh, going to be pretty awesome. New customers, you can get 15% off your first purchase from Homefield with the code Locked On Sooners at checkout. So you'll want to be checking them out here very shortly at homefieldapparel.com. I've got one more realignment y question for Shehan before we jump into obviously some Oklahoma Sooners related stuff, which I'm sure all of our listeners and viewers, they, they want to hear your thoughts on the Oklahoma Sooners entering 2022. 
But I'm curious about this with the Pac-12. We hear that the Big 12, we've talked about it, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Let's say that happens where those four go to the Big 12 and it's minus Oregon and Washington. What does life look like for the Pac-12? Can there be any version of the Pac-12 if Oregon and Washington are still around? Do they pluck the Mountain West or is that just is that just over for the Pac-12? How do you see that? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, I mean, one thing to remember is that most conferences never truly die, right? So, I mean, the WAC is still around playing football, even though it's at the FCS level. And so I think that most likely uh, we're going to see some combination between the Mountain West and the Pac-12, whether it's that they combine fully, whether it's that they take some of the top teams from the Mountain West. Uh, It's hard to say at this point, but, um, you know, certainly if Washington and Oregon are still around, it's still going to be a good conference, right? It's not going to, it's not going to fall down to the level of being, you know, a conference USA or anything like that. Right. But um, I think that it does become a tenuous situation for sure with the PAC 12. I think that you clearly fall behind the other two sort of, uh, you know, group of three conferences that are left in the middle, um, you know, and, and I think that from a financial perspective, you're in a tough position. You know, there's uh, Dennis has done some reporting. And, and so the estimate that he's kind of come up with right now is that uh, rights fees would probably fall from about 45 million to about 30 million. Right. So, I mean, again, it's it's early numbers. Negotiations haven't happened as yet, of course. But uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant haircut. Right. And so. I think that right now the uh, the Pac-12 probably is going to be in a tough position. I don't expect them, if those four teams were to leave, to be able to keep Washington and Oregon. I, I just think that there are too many other good options out there for them because they are the two, I think, premier brands remaining in the Pac-12. And, and when you look at sort of the landscape of college football, I mean, after Clemson, I think you could argue Oregon is the next best remaining brand, uh, other than Notre Dame, of course. So, you know, I, I think it's a complicated situation. I think that the Pac-12 probably probably does if that were to happen i think that they would kind of fall behind the pack uh which you know again you know john you mentioned it's it's kind of sucks right i think that regionalism is such a big part of college football uh and to not have a conference that really kind of brings together some of that regional flair in some ways of the pac-12 at the major college level i, I think it would be sad i now i hope that you know the mountain west gets really or uh the, the pac-12 gets really aggressive with adding some of those california schools from the mountain west colorado state those kinds of things uh so that we kind of still have a little bit of a regional identity but obviously it won't be on the national level like that yeah it's just it's just going to feel weird. You know, like I, I still remember, you know, uh, Desmond Howard in the Rose bowl, you know, way back in, in 91 or 92, I was only like nine or 10, but that's like one of the earliest football memories I have. And yes, he was a big 10 guy playing for Michigan, but it was that pack 12 or that pack 10 at the time, big yeah. 10 tie that they had together. And, you know, the Coliseum, it, it just, it's just going to feel differently um, with USC and UCLA in the big 10. And, and it is what it is. It, money moves mountains in college football, and that's just the way. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC for it, abandoning a lot of you know old Southwest Conference and Big Eight rivalries uh, for that, renewing some others, but you know still so losing some others. But talking about the Oklahoma Sooners, looking ahead to 2022, it's been an offseason full of change for not just Oklahoma, but a lot of the Big 12 schools as well. You know, you look at Texas adding Quinn Ewers. Their recruiting class has been fantastic. They add Isaiah Nair um, at wide receiver. But looking at Oklahoma specifically heading into the season, what's one of the things that you're most concerned about or you, you would say is like the biggest question mark for this club? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think there are a lot of interesting questions with them. I, I'd say that the biggest thing that I'm wondering about is how quickly sort of the the defensive physical culture is going to come through, right? Because I think that you look at Oklahoma the past couple of years, it's it's hard to argue that it's been a talent issue. We've seen so many good players come through the program. I mean, what there were five guys drafted, I think, off the defense last year. Uh so I don't think it's been a talent issue. I, I don't think it's necessarily been a scheme issue either, right? I think that sometimes it's easy to say, and sometimes we fall into these cliches, but I, I think sometimes it is very much a mentality issue, that they weren't tough, that they weren't sort of, uh, you know, what when you have, I think, a program that's so built around the offensive side of the ball, I think it's sometimes easy to get in the mindset of being a backup, right, of being secondary, of being, you know, uh, not the priority for a team, and that's going to change this year, right? I mean, Brett Venables is coming in, and I think that um, I look at some of the, the defensive cultures around college football uh, you know, Nick Saban, right? I mean, he runs a defensive culture that bleeds through and helps the offense as well. I look in the Big 12 at Dave Rand at Baylor. I think that that's been a huge part of their success is that he's really leading that physical culture from above. So I, I think that that's going to pay off dividends long term, no question about it. I'm curious how quickly it comes about because the schedule early is kind of tough, right? I mean, you go to Nebraska, you get Kansas State real early. Like these are teams that I think could uh, could sneak up on an Oklahoma team that's not ready as yet. So uh, I, I think that seeing how quickly it comes about, that, that Nebraska game I think will be a great first test in order to kind of see whether it's now or whether it's something that maybe by the end of the year we're really seeing. I've been trying anybody in Oklahoma circles that will listen that, yes, while we have to give Britt Venables time around here, these will be the same individuals that if Oklahoma somehow loses a couple of games or three games, will be saying that uh, year one for Brent Venables maybe isn't going as expected and perhaps he wasn't even the right hire that Oklahoma fans right now feel that he was. So with that in mind to sort of lay the groundwork here, what would you qualify for OU as a successful year one for Brent Venables? Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly first you have to look at uh, at the process of it, right? So like, I mean, it's easy to point at the final results. Obviously, if you go 15-0 and 0 and win it all, that's successful. But I think that, you know, first of all, I think I want to see some tangible differences on defense, right? I want to see that physical atmosphere that I talked about. I want to see uh, the defense really control a couple of games. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about results, for me, a first-year coach is a first-year coach, right? I mean, obviously, Brent Venables has a talented roster. He's obviously got a lot to work with. He brought in some fantastic players. If they're 9-3 and three and they're really competitive in the final weeks for the Big 12 championship game, that's plenty to me. I, you know, I think, I think it's going to be a, a Big 12 with a lot of parity this upcoming year. I think that there's going to be a lot of close games. So, you know, look, I mean, Oklahoma's used to winning it all every single year and being in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, and they'll get back to that. I'm, I don't really have concerns about that. But uh, but I think in this first year, having a couple bumps at the beginning, but looking better at the end of the year, I, I think I'd feel pretty good about where Oklahoma is if they go about uh, nine and three and have a chance to get to 10 in their bowl game. And I want to ask you kind of specifically just about some players like on the offensive side of the football, who's the player you're most looking forward to watching in Jeff Levy's offense this season? 
I mean, it has to be Marvin Mims, right? It feels like we haven't actually gotten to see him really star since he was a freshman almost because of all the weirdness going on with all the quarterbacks and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I worked at Dave Campbell sex football before this, and we named him Mr. Texas football for a reason. I mean, he's one of the greatest receivers in Texas high school history. And we got to see some of that during his freshman year, sophomore year with a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I'm really excited to see him in this system and working with Dylan Gabriel. You know, I, I think that this is a system that, I, and uh, trust me, I have, I have a lot of questions about the system, and, and I'm curious how it kind of works out. But I think that when it works well, this is a system that should make things easier for the offense in a lot of ways, right? I, I mean, in some ways, Lincoln Riley obviously is one of the great, uh, you know, offensive minds, whatever. But it's like it was he was like there was a counter, and then there was a counter to that, and there was a counter to that, and you're almost like five levels down of like uh, away from where you kind of started by the time that we're getting to last year, right? And so. I think that you kind of get to start fresh with Jeff, Jeff Lebby from here. I think it's a great offensive staff, obviously uh, bringing back the guys that they brought back, I think is huge for them. And Kale Gundy, of course, his position coach coming back is, is huge for him. Um, but I, I think that this is an offense that really should take advantage really early of Marvin Mims' skill set. And I expect him to be, you know, a, a, one of the best receivers in the Big 12. And I expect him to be a high possession type guy. You know, I'd love to see him pushing for 80, 90 catches on the year. And, and I think that he has a chance to do it. So you shared a little bit with us that you kind of envisioned the Big 12 being, uh, you know, a conference that's marked by parity. Maybe not the dominance we've seen in years past of an Oklahoma. And really, we got a little bit of that last season with Baylor and Oklahoma State matching up in the Big 12 championship game. How do you see the Big 12 conference shaking up? I know it's early and a lot of things could change, but who's winning this conference? How do you see it shaking out? Yeah, I mean, listen, people ask me that and. February. So th this is not too early for me. Don't worry about it. Uh, so I see there, I really think there are five teams that have a chance to make the big 12 championship game, right? Baylor and Oklahoma state, I think absolutely have a shot to, to get back to the game after what they did last year. Uh, I think Texas and Oklahoma, obviously I, I like Oklahoma a little bit better than Texas right now. Um, but you know, Texas, I think with the talent that they brought in certainly deserves to be in that conversation too. Uh, and my dark horse is really Kansas State. I think Kansas State, they arguably bring back the best offensive and defensive player in the conference and Deuce Vaughn at running back and Felix Anaduke Uzoma at, on the defensive line. Like these are two really good players. I think that Adrian Martinez could come in and make a big impact. But if you ask me right now who I favor to win the league, I, I think I have to go with Baylor. I, I think that you just see what they have in the trenches, right? I mean, they're going to not just have the best trenches in the league. I think that they're going to have it by a pretty wide margin on both sides of the ball uh you know they add jackson player on the defensive line to team up with siaki ika uh, on the interior i mean that is that's freaky that's that's not normal stuff to to have on the interior of your defensive line and then bring back four or five starters from the best offensive line in the in the big 12 last year so the big question obviously is going to be under center whether whether they really did upgrade by bringing in blake shapen but i, I have faith that they're going to find guys on the outside in terms of skill talent I, i'm not too worried about that uh but but again, I mean, look, if they finish fifth in the Big 12, I also wouldn't be that surprised because I think it's just going to be that tight at the top. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree. I think there's going to be a lot of competition there at the top of the conference, just kind of like last year where you had you know four teams going into November with a legitimate shot at representing in the Big 12 championship game. It, it might get even a little bit deeper this year, and we know that the bottom of the conference is getting better with Kansas and West Virginia improving over the offseason. I think 
there's a good chance that you have, you know, a, a two loss big 12 champion, just like you did last year. So Shayhan, man, that was so great. And we're so glad that you were willing to come on and jump on the show with us and, and talk a college football, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Make sure you check out the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Also, check us out on the YouTube side of things as well. Trying to get to 2,500 subscribers before the start of the 2022 college football season. But we're going to have a lot of great content for the rest of this week as well as we start getting you ready for fall ball. It's going to be a lot of fun. For Josh, for Shayon, I'm John. We'll talk to you next time. Boomer Sooner.